Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Let It Shine podcast. I'm joined uh, by Bobby Eaton. Uh, Bobby, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, out of your busy schedule. You, you mentioned earlier you're traveling. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us here and to share what God has done and is doing in your life. Thank you. It's my pleasure to join you and your listeners today. Awesome. So for those of you who don't know, Bobby is the author of The Boy in the Window, a book that was given to me uh, a few years ago, and I picked it up and, and started reading. And for those of you who know me, I really enjoy reading, um, but a lot of times I get sidetracked and I lose my, my attention span is very short. And so if, if a book doesn't intrigue me right from the, the very front cover, I usually put it down. And I have a bunch of books laying around that I have never finished. Um, but The Boy in the Window, Bobby, was definitely not, not that at all. Um, I remember picking it up and from the very first page, it just it really caught my attention. Um, and I remember reading it all in, in one sitting, one evening. Um, and yeah, that's like I said earlier, that's, that's very unusual for me. Um, and then since then, I, I've read it a few more times after that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very compelling and powerful story, um, what God has done and the way that you have let him speak and work through your life. Um, so yeah, I, I, let's, uh, let's get started here. Um, one of the questions that I usually ask at the very beginning, just to kind of get things rolling, uh, what is like your earliest childhood memory, I guess? If somebody asks you, what's like the earliest memory you have, what pops into your mind? Well, it's uh, actually in the book. Uh, I, uh, I was very young, and I, I hurt my leg, and I actually had to learn to walk again as a child. And I remember getting so angry and, uh, because I couldn't get up and run and, uh, you know, walk like I wanted to. And so, yeah, that's one of the earliest memories I have back in Kentucky uh, in that shotgun house uh, there that uh, I grew up in. I think I was there for, um, yeah, my early from like, oh, I guess it would have been as a young child up to about 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's my earliest memories there. So at this time you're, you're in Kentucky. Uh, describe to us exactly what a shotgun house is. Um, what do you mean when you say a shotgun house? Well, a shotgun house is when you, uh, you uh, shoot through the front door and uh, you hit everything going out the back door. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, uh, just, uh, just kind of a cracker box. Uh, that, yeah, that's what we lived in. So coming up on our front porch, going into uh, the what we called, we didn't call it the living room because it was it was a bedroom for my mom and dad. It was uh, the living room. It was a family room. It was the only room in the house where we had heat. And uh, through that room uh, was the kitchen dining room, per se. And then we had a little uh, back entrance and and the bedroom where us children slept. Mm -hmm. So uh, how many siblings did you have growing up? Uh, there's 11 of us, uh, seven boys and four girls, and I'm number three. I had a, an older brother and an older sister, and then it's me. Gotcha, gotcha. So already, just from what you've, what you've described and explained to me, I can already tell um, 
your childhood is probably different than, uh, definitely different than mine, um, and probably most of of the listeners here the podcast in that, um, you know, you if correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't grow up in the Mennonite Anabaptist uh, communities and probably didn't have as much financially um, as as most of us did growing up um, in the in the Mennonite communities just because we've been so blessed. So I guess describe a little bit more in detail what it was like for you growing up um, in Kentucky and living with your family there. Sure, uh, Kendrick. Uh, so my dad was an illiterate uh, Kentucky hillbilly. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Uh, he was uh, dyslexic. And so when he went to school uh, in a little one-room uh, schoolhouse there in the hills of Kentucky, they had no idea what uh, being dyslexic was. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day uh, the teacher uh, sent a note home uh with him and told him that, uh, told his parents, my grandparents, that uh, there's no need in sending him back to school because he's just dumb mm. and uh, he can't learn. And uh, yeah, and I believe that that really affected him. Um, mm. You know, that caused him to be, you know, the angry person that he was. I'm sure that he was, you know, bullied and mocked and ridiculed and, you know, talked down to and, all of that, I have no idea. Never really talked to him about it, uh, but I can only imagine knowing, uh, yeah, that that the family uh, like I do. But uh, yeah, we grew up. Uh, my dad was a sharecropper. Um, he made four dollars a day, mm-hmm. and uh, there was thirteen of us. And so, uh, yeah, to say that we grew up poor. Uh, is an understatement. Uh, we didn't have a bathroom until we left that farm when I was 13 years old. And we weren't Amish, but we had an outhouse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we had a wash tub, and that's the way we lived. It was very, very primitive, uh, extremely, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, there weren't many uh, amenities, I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, pretty rough sledding mm-hmm. yeah and so uh you touched on your father a little bit there uh describe i guess your relationship in your early childhood years with your father um yeah growing up what was it like living with your father you mentioned he was an alcoholic i'm sure that brought out sides of him that weren't very nice as well um yeah i guess explain that and describe that to us uh, living with sure, your father. sure yeah um you know, so that people don't think I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna throw my dad under the, under the bus, mm-hmm. uh, because the beauty uh, of this story, to me, uh, is my personal redemption story, but also how my dad and my mother, my mother first, and, and years later my dad, uh, came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and and I was there, and he asked me for help. And I was personally able to help lead my dad to the Lord. Uh, one of the sweetest uh, experiences I've ever had in my life. And uh, and I can honestly say that uh, when my dad died, uh, he was absolutely my best friend on earth. Wow. 
But when I was a child, uh, I hated my dad. You know, when I was a young child, I looked up to him. I didn't understand his anger. I didn't understand the outburst. I didn't understand the beatings. Uh, you know, I just thought it was commonplace, and that's the way it was. There were never any words of affirmation. There was never any, you know, attaboy or good job or, you know, proud of you or any of that. It was always, you know, come on, hurry up, you know, and it was like, you know, and it wasn't until I was a teenager uh, that I really, that the resentment, you know, really started to grow and, and, my, and fester in my heart as I watched him abuse uh, not only myself, but my siblings and my mother. And uh, that resentment turned to bitterness. And of course, uh, you've read the book and you know what happened when I was 15 years old. And I walked away from home and I absolutely hated my dad with every fiber of my being. Mm. And I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I, I do remember um, reading about that experience there where you did walk away from home. Uh, and something that stuck out to me is just the, I think, um, possibly the night before um, he was abusing you physically again. And you basically told him, correct me if I'm wrong, but you told him um, that if he ever tries to hurt you again or anybody else that you're going to basically kill him. Is that, is that, am I remembering correctly there? Yes, you are. Uh, it's exactly what happened. There was something that just snapped inside of me, uh, you know, with my, my flesh literally ripped and torn and bleeding and, you know, from that, from that black snake whip. And I didn't care. I would have, I would have, I would have died right there fighting him if he would have reached out and touched me. Mm. Uh, because I, I just told him, I said, if you ever touch me again, I will kill you with my bare hands. And I meant it with every fiber of my being. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. I was a strapping boy, but I was full of it. And I was, I was, I was just, I was enraged. I, I, I don't have another word to describe the emotions that were going through me because it was so unjust. I hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And for him to beat me like that, it just, it just, something just snapped. Yeah. And, and I just, I just, I just hated him. Wow. And then that let you, as you mentioned, um, to walk away um, from your family there, living there. Where did you go? Like af after you left home, so to speak, where, where did you, where did you go to? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. See what happened. Uh, when I was uh, eight years old, seven years old, actually, uh, this group of Mennonites uh, recolonized and moved in all around us. And I tell people it was like ducks coming in on a pond in the evening. It was just like, and here they were. And all of these Mennonites, and I thought they were actually aliens. And, you know, it was, uh, it was really strange seeing these, uh, you know, they were... Beachy Amish Mennonites, mm -hmm. a very strict, very plain, um, you know, and it was, uh, you know, seeing them, it was like, you know, just people from another planet. It was just like, and, you know, I remember the first year, uh, you know, getting on the school bus, 
uh, one of the families bought the farm directly across the road from the farm that we were living on. And we were talking about, you know, getting on the school bus with these, do they have kids that are going to, you know, walk down and get on the school bus with us. And we were horrified just thinking about it. And, uh, you know, we, uh, got ready for school and walked out to where we would meet the bus and looked up and here come five or half a dozen. I forget exactly. And they're walking down, you know, the girls with their big bonnets with the strings tied under their little chins and, and, uh, you know, their dresses, you know, way down and long and black shoes and, you know, and the boys with suspenders and, you know, these Amish looking haircuts and suspenders, broad falls. I didn't know what broad falls were. Hmm. It was, it was just, we were just flabbergasted and we were standing there. And of course, everyone's looking down, drawing circles with your, with your toes you know, in the, in the gravel and scrooching them around, nobody saying a word. It was so awkward. And then we, uh, Kendrick, we get on the bus and they start to talk and, uh, and they talk, I didn't know it was Pennsylvania Dutch. And I told mm. my oldest brother, I, I tugged his sleeve and I, I said, see, I said, they are from another planet. They don't even speak English. Look at that. <laughs> So it was, it was uh, bap- baptism by fire, brother, into the into the world of the of the plain people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember uh, reading about your encounter there, and yeah, I was very, very enthralled and intrigued because, like, obviously for for myself and for a lot of a lot of the listeners and a lot of people, like, that's all they've known, you know, growing up in in a Mennonite community. And so I've always wondered, like. How do other people view um, Mennonites, Amish, uh, if they're not, you know, living with them, growing up with them? So, I, yeah, I, I, that was a, a bright spot in the book, just reading that and very, very interesting. Um, so you, I remember in the book somewhere you mentioned, um, or I should ask this question, what was like your relationship or your thought about God growing up? Um, I, I'm assuming you weren't really taught the Bible, going to church growing up? What did that look like, I guess, for, for you growing up? Well, see, uh, I didn't start going to church until, oh, I don't know how old I was. Um, the, 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 guy, the man that owned the farm that we lived on, they were a childless couple, and uh, they went to the Church of Christ, and I would be over quite often helping uh, the lady of the house with her her chores, her garden, her chickens, her whatever. And uh, one Saturday, uh, I'd worked all day, and she gave me my quarter uh, for working all day there with her. And uh, she said something about if I'd like to go to church with her and her husband the next day. And I said, well, I, I don't know. Uh, and she said, well, you ask your, you ask your, your daddy and and if you can come, you be here, and, and we'll, we'd like for you to go to church with us. And so, uh, yeah, I remember going, and uh, yeah, I remember being terrified. I asked my mom first, and she said, well, you got to ask your dad. So, And so I went to my dad, and I asked him, and he cursed and swore and said, he don't really care if that's what you want to do, go. And so I remember getting up really early on, on uh, Sunday, and to me it was like, you know, it was like escape, you know, I can get away from this 
hours and I can go have reprieve uh, somewhere else, uh, not being at home. Because uh, I tell people the, the closest I've ever been to hell was uh, the home that I grew up in. And uh, so it was, it was, it was something that I didn't really want to go to church, but I, I did want to, I, I would go anywhere to be away from home. And so I was over there that morning, that Sunday morning, bright and early, they took me to church and, and uh, yeah, it was uh, another traumatic experience because I didn't know uh, the etiquette and I actually uh, spoke and uh, really got reprimanded by the lady that uh, took me to church and I felt really bad and uh, some of my uh, boys that I went to school with and girls were there and of course they were appearing over their benches and sneering and pointing you know I was the poor white trash that was there and and I felt you know those burning eyes on me and kind of a real you know just awareness that you know I don't really belong here but uh, yeah going to Sunday school for the first time that Sunday and uh you know, sitting in a Sunday school class, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I had a hunger, to answer your question, I had a hunger uh, to know this God, mm. and uh, and I wanted to know him from, from, yeah, those very young, formative years of my life. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely hear that coming through as, you, as you're speaking there. So, Kendrick, one thing, uh, I didn't answer your question. You asked me where I went when I walked away from home, and I didn't really finish that. Uh, to answer your question, I didn't have anywhere to go but to the Mennonites. Um, my oldest brother and my oldest sister had already moved out and moved in with other Mennonite families. My brother had joined the church uh and my sister uh, was in instruction class, and she was actually 17 years old, and she was already engaged uh, to a Mennonite boy, and uh, waiting for waiting to turn 18 so that she could get married because my dad wouldn't sign their their uh, marriage license for her to get married at 17. And uh, anyway, I went to him, and he took me in. And I stayed there uh, for a few months after they were married and them being young married and needing privacy and that kind of thing. It was a single wide trailer. It was a two-bedroom trailer, and, and I was in their space. And uh, so, yeah, I, I uh, wound up moving in with another family that so kindly uh, opened their home to me. Mm. And that, that was a blessing. So, yeah. yeah. So... You had mentioned like your first encounter with the Mennonites. Um, you had mentioned, you know, it was very strange. Um, even their language they were speaking was very strange. I guess what what exactly then led you? I think you mentioned it. Was it just that you had nowhere else to go, no place to go that led you to them, or was there something else that kind of drew you in as well? Um, I guess as well as like your older siblings, you mentioned they eventually joined the church as well. Um, I guess, yeah. how did that all happen? Like from the very first time that you met them, you, you viewed them as very strange people. Um, I guess what, what drew your attention to them? Well, um, 
see the that first year that they moved in and went to went to our school. That was the first year of integration. Uh, you know, with the African Americans uh, coming into the same school systems as as the whites. <clears throat> so in our in our classroom, there was the white trash like myself. There was the Mennonite kids, and uh, there was this African American girl. And we were we were kind of the outcasts. Everyone else was kind of middle class. Uh, you know, their their families were. You know, some of them were even well to do, uh, but middle class to upper class, uh, rural Kentucky families um, that you know were their their parents were successful farmers and business owners and different things, uh, different of my schoolmates. And I remember that first year being out on the, on the playground and there were two brothers there. Uh, in fact, they became two of my dearest friends and actually my wife's first cousins. And they were in the same class and, um, we got to be really good friends and we would play and, you know, they would scrap and, you know, they would fall and they would, uh, skin themselves and they bleed and you know they were just like me and I just found out that you know they're and they they accepted me they didn't uh, they didn't reject me or look down on me because the family I was from or the clothes that I wore or didn't wear the, the wore out shoes that I had or whatever it was they just accepted me and uh, we were out on the on the playground one day and I said so uh, you guys must be twins and one of them said he was actually the smaller one. He said, no, I'm, I'm a year and a half older than him. And I'm like, well, well, why, why, why are you in the same grade? And I'll never forget his answer. He told me, well, he said, well, back in Virginia, he said, my teacher and my parents decided that they want to hold me back. And I'm like, hold you back. Why would anyone hold you back? That, and it really angered me because I thought, well, his parents must be terrible. And that teacher was horrific. Why would they hold him back? It was years, Kendrick, until I figured out that he had failed first grade. Mm. I had no idea. It was his Dutchified way of saying, you know, he didn't, he didn't pass. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I had no idea. And, uh, but I became friends with, uh, you know, the neighbors, uh, and, uh, I remember uh, I was probably oh, 10 years old. It was a hot summer day, and uh, you you asked, you know, what led up to this, and this is a story that that really impacted me. Uh, this is just one. But uh, I had everything, I had all my work done, and uh, it was getting uh, close to, you know, day was sort of winding down. And I knew that the Mennonite preacher across the road was a dairy farmer and had alfalfa uh, cut. And I was very, um, uh, I don't know, I just was, I was just always watching and observing and, you know, wanted to, you know, help and do what I could. And, and, and I saw this huge, uh, you know, thunderstorm coming and, and I saw him go down and start bailing that hay. And I, th I thought, well, man, this hay is going to get wet, and that's not good. And, and so I went, ran and asked my mom if I could go help him. And 
and she said, sure, just be back, you know, whatever. And so I, I rode my bike over and uh, jumped out, jumped down, and they'd already brought a tractor and a wagon. They were starting to get the bales up ahead of the rain, and and uh, I started grabbing hay bales and, and putting them on the wagon, and, and the boys were saying, hey, you don't need to be out here. What are you doing? Go play. Go whatever. And I was like, no, I want to. I want to help you. So we got the hay in and it wasn't but just a few acres and we got it all in and long story short, there was no rain and it was super hot. It was July or August and I mean, it was really warm and I was just soaked through with sweat, you know, uh, from picking it up and up in the barn and and so I, we go out and I pick up my bike and I'm getting ready to go and about that time the mother of the house she comes out and of course in there in Pennsylvania Dutch she yells out to the children and and they yell back and it's about this back and forth exchange and and they look at me and they say uh, something to the fact mother says that you have to come eat with us and I said I have to they said yeah you have to because you help put up hay you have to come eat with us and I was like, I really have to go. No, you have to. I said, okay. So we went in and, you know, I just did everything they did. And I so remember uh, sitting down at that table. Uh, the man of the house set me right beside him. And uh, set me right beside him and he looked directly at me. It was this long table. There were benches down each side and dad on one end, mom on the other, a high chair down by mom with a little toddler boy in that high chair. And, and these benches were full. The table was set. There were steaming bowls of food on the table. And the man of the house looked at me and he said, we are going to fold our hands, bow our heads, close our eyes. And, and we're going to pray. And, uh, so I did that, but while he was praying, I peeked, and I looked around that table, and it was just—it was just incredible. I mean, every, even the, even the, even the toddler, uh, the mother had both of his little hands in hers, and he had his head bowed and his eyes closed, while Daddy led in prayer. And I remember eating, and I remember it was like a party uh, burst out, you know, when Amen was said, and it was like. They, these people love each other. I mean, they're they're eating a meal and they're not fighting and and, and screaming and quarreling and they're having fun and and loving each other. And I was like, wow. And I need I knew I needed to get home. I told my mom I would, and I ate and thanked them, and I left and got on my bike and I rode down the hill. And there was a little creek that separated our properties and a bridge, and I stopped on that bridge. And I looked back and I saw that house and and I looked across and I looked at our house and and in my heart I said, someday I want to have a family like that. Mm. Like that 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 scene I just left, that's what I want. And then I rode my bike and, and I walked right back into the jaws of hell. Mm. And so a lot of those things impacted me. Uh, hugely and I'm a I'm a debtor I'm a debtor to this day and so grateful uh, for those uh, little acts of uh, of kindness and love and acceptance that that really 
helped change the the trajectory of my life. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's yeah, that was that was a very powerful story. Um, I remember uh, when I was also reading your book. Um, another point that you brought out was that you were very surprised and just in awe that they even had uh, like seats for everybody because in your household. Uh, only your father and mother could sit down and, and you children just gathered around the table and stood um, as you know as you were eating um, and so yeah for for me that was just unbelievable um, and just reminded me of how how truly blessed I am like growing up and and having these things and a lot of times I you know I take it for granted um, so it was very touching to yeah to read that so um, as far as like school life, what did what did school look like to you? Um, what did education look like to you growing up? Well, it was extremely difficult because uh, I was dyslexic and didn't know it. And um, when I was in the third grade, I was really struggling. And uh, I remember uh, my teacher. Uh, it was time for afternoon recess, and uh, and she said uh, today, uh, Bobby. Uh, you need to stay in and uh, not go to recess. And I was terrified. I was like, wow, what did I do? You know, I was just like, I mean, I was literally petrified. And uh, every all the other children were, you know, they got up and they're, I'm sure they're wondering the same thing. And uh, anyway, I, I stayed in and uh, all the children went out. Uh, she got up and closed the door, sat in her chair, and told me to come up to her desk. And I went up there, and I was just, you know, I was just petrified, and I was, I was actually crying, uh, just silently, just tears, cheeks, and because I, I, I didn't know, I thought maybe, you know, I was so dumb that I was just going to have to, you know, work in the fields like my dad did, and that was going to be my lot in life, and I was just. I was just so hurt and disappointed at myself. And uh, she, uh, she started talking and she said, she said, uh, she said, Bobby, she said, uh, regardless of what people have told you, you're not dumb. You're actually very bright. And she said, if you will work with me, I'll work with you and I will help you. And I couldn't even look at her. And uh, she finally put her hand under my chin and made me raise my head and look at her. And she said, she said, will you do it? And, uh, and I nodded my head. And I was just, for the first time in my life, I had someone that believed in me and spoke life into me and believed in me. And uh, I was determined uh, to make her proud because she believed in me. And so uh, I had struggled with reading. I'd struggled with pretty much everything. And uh, we had to uh, read one book a week and do a book report. And these weren't big books. These were, you know, like second, third grade books. You know, they were, you know, big print, you know, nothing, you know, like stories about Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett and all of those people. And, uh, you know, Today, I could read one probably in an hour or less. And uh, anyway, uh, so I, I remember going to the, 
the bookmobile would come to our school because it was out in the country. We didn't have a library in the school. And so this uh, bookmobile would come, and we went out there, and I would always just get one book. But on this day, when the bookmobile came, after my teacher had talked to me, I got three books. And the uh, librarian said, you're going to, you want three books? I said, yes, sir, please. And uh, he said, okay. And so I took them and I read them and I wrote three book reports. And uh, it was, it was a turning point in my life. It was absolute. Just that little bit of, of, of her believing in me, it, it just, it, it was really, I mean, my tra- trajectory just went off the charts. Yeah, well, I, I, I can definitely see, and I'm sure you agree, that, um, yeah, growing up, you mentioned earlier, it, it was just like a glimpse of what hell would be um, in your just your family household there, um, and something that I'm, I'm inspired by is just seeing how God allowed things like this, like your, your teacher here, um, to just show you love and kindness, um, and to give you, give you hope, I guess. Um, so when I first saw the title of your book, um, the boy in the window, I immediately had a question. Um, I wanted to know like, who is this boy in the window? Why, why is he looking in the window? Um, you know, it just, it was very intriguing to me and that's kind of what first grabbed my attention. So explain, I guess, explain to us the whole idea and thought behind the boy in the window. Think, I believe there's a story that goes with that. Um, yeah, explain that to us. Sure. Uh, well, when I was a, a very young boy, uh, the same neighbors uh, that that took me to church with them uh, told us that there was going to be a, uh, a Halloween party uh, at this uh, place and uh, wondered if we want to go. And uh, so... My oldest brother, my oldest sister, and myself, uh, we decided to go. And uh, so they took us, and uh, it was there was a bunch of, uh, it was basically a monastery. And uh, all of these Catholic monks were there, and uh, we went inside, and they separated uh, the boys and the girls, and they put them into groups of six or eight, I don't remember exactly. Uh, and the first Thing that we did, they set us on the around these tubs that had apples uh, in them, and the first thing that we were going to do was apple bobbing, and uh, we started. And uh, there was a little redhead boy, redheaded boy next to me, and uh, when they said uh, you go ahead and, and do it, he just plunged his head in the water and got an apple pinned up against the side of this big tub and and uh, came up grinning like a, a possum eating a persimmon with his red with his red apple in his mouth, about as red as his hair. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I was like, wow, I'd never seen that before. Didn't even know what it was. And so I saw an apple, and it was floating, and it had a stem on it. And I just reached out with my teeth and just plucked it out of the water. And he yelled, he said, he's cheating. And, uh, I, you know, these monks were standing around, and I took it and took a bite out of it. 
and they came over there and they said, what do you mean he's cheating? He said, well, he didn't get wet. He just took the, the, the stem of the apple and picked it out of the water. And uh, then they went around to all the tubs and made sure all the stems were off. And anyway, uh, it wasn't long. Uh, there was another man that was standing there looking at me along with this other guy. And, and it was just something evil that I felt. And uh, anyway, there were some other things that we did. And they, they said they're going to take us on a tour. And uh, they divided us up into groups. And uh, they took all the, all the girls that went one way and they took all the boys and went another way. And we climbed a flight of stairs. And at the top of the stairs, a man reached out of a door and grabbed me by the shoulder and pulled me in and closed the door and told me to be quiet. And uh, I, was, I was terrified. And uh, they... Uh, uh, sexually uh, abused me. It was satanic sexual ritual abuse, and uh, it was a, it was a horrific experience. And uh, I actually uh, it was a blocked memory. I didn't remember it for years. Mm. Uh, had no idea it had even happened to me. Uh, a repressed memory and. Uh, after I got born again and went for some counseling, um, I was working on that building uh, as a young married man, that same building where I'd been uh, sexually abused. And uh, for the first time in my life, uh, I wanted to commit suicide, but I was, I was suicidal for years. And it started there. And uh, of course, that was the building where this had happened. And so through some intense counseling and the goodness of God, those memories came to light and the, and the boy in the window was, was liberated once and for all. So it was one of the, one of the worst days of my life, but also one of the best days of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. That you can definitely feel the, the pain and trauma that that caused, um, especially by, like you mentioned, like you completely blocked that that part of your life that happening out, and it wasn't until years later when God finally revealed it to you. Um, yeah, you can definitely tell that that was just very traumatic. Fast forwarding then a, a little bit further, uh, getting back to kind of where we were at, and if there's something in between here that you want to bring out or, or stories you want to share, feel free to do this. But we we were talking a little bit earlier. Um, you finally reached the point in your life where you decided you, you had to leave, you had to leave home, you had to get out of, of that situation. Um, tell us a, a little bit more what happened after that, um, living with, with the Mennonites um, and I guess your teenage years and, and growing up in, into your adulthood then. Yeah, um, like I said earlier, I, when I left, I went and I was uh, uh, there with living with my brother-in-law until they got married. Then a couple months after that, then there was another Mennonite family that took me in and uh, gave me a home. And I was very grateful for that. Uh, being, uh, you know, from the outside, uh, they were very lenient uh, with us as far as uh, youth activities. And I was a real, I really enjoyed sports. If it was, if it was any kind of uh 
ball game or anything. I loved it. Of course, the Mennonites played a lot of, uh, in that community, they, they played softball, basketball, football, volleyball, ping pong in the wintertime. I mean, anything that had a ball, we, we played it and uh, on a regular basis. And, and I started going young. And, uh, and I love, I love that. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I went to my brother-in-law's place, you know, and I was there, uh, waiting on him to come home from work that, that first day I walked away from home, you know, he told me, he said, the only way that you can stay here is if you go to church with me. And, uh, I said, well, that's not, that's not the worst thing in the world, but I'd already made up my mind. I'm not going to join the church because, I don't want that stupid haircut and I don't want to wear those stupid broad falls. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, give up, you know, watching movies and TV and, you know, things that I enjoyed, you know, that I was really running after. Uh, but after a while, uh, you know, I, I figured out that, you know, the only way that I could really uh, actively participate uh, with the youth was if I would would join the church. And so when one of my good friends came to me and told me he was going to join the church, and I, I thought about it for about two weeks, and I finally decided I'm going to do it. And so I joined the church, and uh, I, I'm not, I'm not throwing uh, a rock in anyone's garden, but I was never once asked about the condition of my soul. Uh, I was never asked if I'd had a born again experience or any of that. I was just taken through instruction class and, uh, you know, and I got down on my knees, you know, uh, you know, dressed just right with the right haircut, answering the questions and getting water poured on my head and, and, uh, becoming a church member. But that the black heart that I had going into that service that day went out with me just as black uh, after after my baptism and, and joining the church. And uh, and I didn't have a clue. Uh, I, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was born again. I made, you know, different professions, and, and I really wanted to do what was right. But I just, there was no power in my life. And I just thought, well, I'm just not a good Mennonite. I'm from the outside and I'm an Eaton, you know, I'm white trash, and, you know, it's just, you just can't be a good Mennonite, so I'll just be as good as I can be, and that's sort of where I landed. So, this was, uh, what age were you at, at this point, do you remember? Uh, I was 15 when I started instruction class, and I was 16 when I was baptized. Okay, okay, gotcha. And that's a very, for the Mennonites at least, at least in my community, it's a very common age at around 16, 15, 16, 17. Um, yeah, to kind of just make the decision to go along along with instruction class. So, yeah, that, that's very interesting. So Yeah, there there were there were eight of us, actually. So, okay. yeah, there was a lot of peer pressure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For that, so, yeah. And, and what was, at this point, like, what was your view of God on a deeper level? Like, Obviously, you didn't have much of a relationship with God um, yet. No, no, I, I, I felt like God had this huge ball bat, and every time I mess up, He's going to whap me over the head with it. Mm -hmm. You know that that was that was my view that that God was uh, looking for perfection, and when it wasn't there, He was angry and uh, and not happy with me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I could I could never be good enough. Sure. And, and it was very very discouraging. Yeah. And do you think some of that view might have been influenced by like your your actual father here on earth? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. So here you are. Um, yeah, like, like you said, 16. Take us up through your teenage years. Um, I believe you more or less kept going to, you're, you're a part of the church now, um, but you still, you still haven't been born again, haven't had that experience. Um, take us up to the events leading up to your, your salvation experience, I guess. Oh my, that's that's years later. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'll try to try to not be too long-winded, but uh, yeah, joined joined the church, and I was working on a mason crew, and uh, you know we were you know slipping around doing all kinds of things. Uh, you know there was uh, a girl, a Mennonite girl, uh, that was one of my sister's best friends and uh, she was 18. I was 15 when we first started having sex. And uh, I just thought it's common, you know, it was just like, and I found out, you know, pretty quick that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not real hard in the Mennonite church to uh, get a girl and, uh, yeah, that, that led to some really destructive stuff. Um, I started I started dating my wife when I was 15. And uh, I'm sorry, when I was 16. And uh, when I was 18, I was asked to go to Mountain View Nursing Home for a term. And so uh, I sold, sold my car and, and uh, went to Mountain View. I served out there for seven months. And I uh, came back... Uh, just after I turned 19, and my brother and I, we went into business together. My oldest brother and I went into business. And when I was 20, I got married. And uh, I'm very uh, unfortunate. Uh, my wife was expecting our first child when we got married. Um, uh, very, very shameful. Uh, you know, a lot of regrets. Uh, but you know, the, the, the laws of God are true, mm. you know, that, that, uh, you know, sowing and reaping, uh, you know, there's forgiveness, but there's sowing and reaping. And, uh, you know, for those of you, your listeners, listeners that may be struggling, uh, you don't need to go out into the world and experience all of that to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I tell people that, there's nothing sweeter to me than see a see a person come up in a in a in an environment, uh, though not perfect, but uh, where there's godly influence, and and truly get born again, and merge into the the family of God into the church, and uh, and live a pure life. And there's nothing more more uh, beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people talk about my my dramatic conversion experience and uh you know and they say well i, I didn't have that and i say praise god mm -hmm. you didn't have that you didn't need that mm -hmm. but uh anyway we got married uh of course you know with my wife being three months pregnant when we got married it wasn't long until i was a dad uh you know i 
actually left my wife uh, about six weeks after we were married. I actually ran away and, and left her. Uh, thank God I came back, came to my senses and came back. She took me back. Uh, I was excommunicated because of that, and rightly so. And then uh, the church uh, took me back and in, and, and uh, it wasn't long until I was active, uh, and, and I decided I'm just going to really buckle down. I'm going to be a really good Mennonite, and I'm going to wear bigger suspenders and a bigger hat, and I'm just going to try harder, and I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a, the best Mennonite that I can be. And and I tried hard. I really did, but I would fall flat on my face. Mm-hmm. And uh, went on a mission trip. Uh, went to Haiti, uh, working on a on a work team, and was eventually asked. Uh, my wife and I were asked to go as missionaries. We went in 1983 as missionaries. I'd been uh, a Sunday school teacher, youth leader. Uh, I'd been uh, a chaplain in jail and in prison. I wore all those hats, and then I became a missionary. I thought, well, surely this will this will be the the, the magic button. This will be the this will be it right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went to Haiti, and I found out that 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 same person uh, went went along with me. And uh, we went down with two children. My wife is expecting had our third one while we were there. We spent four years there, and. Uh, were asked to come home after three years, came back for six months, went back for another year, and uh, things had uh, deteriorated uh, terribly. And uh, we came home, and uh, we had no idea how traumatized our children were. And because of that, we decided that we weren't going to return. And so I, I served on the mission board for seven years. Well... During that those seven years, uh, there was a uh, an outreach from our church uh, where I was, and we started a started an outreach, moved there, and uh, we was there. And I started uh, when we came back from the mission field. Let me back up just a second. So we came back in 1987, uh, and I went into uh, I'd been a mason. And uh, one of my good friends told me, Bobby, please don't start a Mason crew. There's enough of us. And uh, so I decided I want to become a builder. And uh, doors opened, and I started building houses. And uh, it went really well. And I decided I came back, and I saw, well, this is what all my friends are doing. They're making money. So so the mission field, that really wasn't it. And all of the other things weren't it. Well, maybe if I make money. And really show the show people that I can really be somebody. Maybe that'll that'll do it. And so I did really well. And and uh, I thought, man, you know, I'm not white trash anymore. I'm, I'm a success. And and then, then God, you know, started started uh, kicking these legs out from under my stool. And the first one that He touched was my finances. And uh, got wound up in a lawsuit. And uh, uh, basically. Filed bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, lost everything, and uh, moved to another community and tried to start afresh, and we did, and uh, started having uh, some struggles with our children, and it was just one thing after the next. It was just chaos, and uh, my my suicidal, uh, you know, tendencies kept going up, and I just 
you know, I was just so sick and tired of being sick and tired and uh, just, yeah, just really done. But I would look at my children and I, I would just, I would think about them. I'd be driving down the road, you know, going to work or whatever and, and going to meet another client. And, and I thought, well, if I just ease over in front of this semi or pull out in front of this train or drive over this cliff, you know, it'll look like an accident. No one will know. And there are so many times that I was so close uh, to committing suicide. I just, I'm so thankful for the grace and mercy of God. Uh, we uh, moved into that new community after I filed bankruptcy. And it was a charity-type church. And uh, it, was, uh, it was rather chaotic. It was a new startup. And these uh, families, families moved in. And families from the community started coming, uh, referred uh, to the church uh, there. And uh, they would come in and they would leave. And I was really frustrated and wondering, you know, why are these, why are these people not staying? And uh, anyway, I just started, I just questioned everything. And, uh, and I really pushed hard back against the leadership there. And uh, for about a year, we just, we had home church. We stayed at home and home church with another family. And uh, sometimes there were three families, sometimes four, and sometimes just us. And that was a real, that was a real valley. And uh, then there was another church that was starting up. And some of my really good friends were going there. And I, uh, I decided that uh, we want to go over and visit. So it was in North Carolina and we went and visited. And uh, they uh, loved on us, accepted us. And uh, my wife and I, after a few months of driving back and forth, you know, with 11 children getting them up, you know, the wee hours of the morning, Sunday mornings, driving three hours across the mountains uh, from East Tennessee over to Central North Carolina, and a whole day of church and driving home and then, you know, homeschooling and, and, work on Monday it was just it was horrific and uh, it was hard but we were so hungry and, and with our children struggling like they were uh, we felt like that we, we had to do that and uh, needed to get them in a stable church and so we made the decision that we're going to uh, relocate we're going to move again we knew it was going to hurt financially uh, you know we were just getting back on our feet from the bankruptcy and uh, moved to North Carolina, and we were there, we moved there in 99, and it was June the 2nd, 2002, uh, that I got born again, and uh, for the first time in my life, I experienced the love of the Father, and uh, changed my life, and uh, turned my world right side up for the first time in my life, and uh, I'll never stop praising him. I'll never stop thanking him. I'll never stop serving him. I'll never stop telling the world what he's done for me. Mm. And I tell people, if if, uh, if a person like me can get saved, get born again, anybody can. So a little, maybe a little bit more in detail, what, what led you or what caused you um, to finally come to the end of yourself, to finally stop? running and stop trying to 
to do everything on your on your own and trying to be good enough, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess explain a little bit more in detail your your conversion. Yeah, well, the uh, the brothers uh, in the church there in North Carolina, they wouldn't let me go. Uh, you know, they just they just kept pursuing me, mm. and uh, while I was there, uh, of course, we're still there. But in 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 that church, leading up leading up to the uh, to the day that I got uh, that I got born again, uh, I was meeting with a man. Uh, on Tuesday mornings, uh, we would meet every Tuesday morning, and it was it was an accountability thing, and we'd spend time praying together. And one Tuesday morning, this guy came driving in our lane. Uh, we were renting a house, and in the same yard, there was a trailer, three-bedroom, single-wide trailer. It was in really bad shape, and I talked to the owner, and I said, if I put the labor in and you pay the material, uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, work out renting the trailer as well because I didn't want another family sharing the same yard, you know, with us, our children being right there, not knowing what kind of people might move in this dumpy trailer. And so uh, we remodeled the trailer and we used it for company because we had a, a three-bedroom, one-bath house uh, with, you know, <laughs> ten of us. Uh, in that house, uh, so it would you'd line up outside the bathroom door and take a number. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that Tuesday morning, uh, he had called me the evening before and and said he's struggling. Wanted me to pray with him. He was crying and and just really uh, struggling. Didn't know what was going on and and uh, and I just told him I'll pray for him. And so he came that morning. It was raining, pouring rain and. And I saw him come in and had an umbrella and went out on the porch. And when he got out of his van, he literally looked like a drunk man. I knew he wasn't drunk. And I ran out to him with the umbrella and grabbed, put my arm around him. And it was, like I said, it was pouring and got him under the porch. And we went inside and he's just sobbing uncontrollably and just said he hadn't slept all night. And he's just, he's just confused he doesn't know where he's at with the lord and and just you know as he could you know between his his sobs and you know and just just weeping and 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 just travailing i just i just for some reason i, I just i just felt to ask him you know if i said brother i said maybe the problem is you've never been truly born again and he just lost it all the more. And it was the most beautiful thing watching him just dump his bucket, just repent of his sins and 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 being so broken, so crushed, so annihilated, and and coming up off of that that tear-drenched floor with all of these tissues around him and raising his hands up towards heaven. And crying not now for for the, the pain and the, the despair, but but the freedom and the liberty that he was experiencing feeling for himself for the first time in his life. It was I tell people it was like I was standing under this fruit tree, holding a basket, and the fruit just plops right into my basket. 
And I, to this day, believe it was a gift that God gave me to allow me to see that man get born again. Two months later, I was working for another brother that had moved into the area from out west, remodeling his house, and he didn't come out of the house, and he would always come out. He worked from home, and uh, he didn't come out, and we were working on this big wraparound porch on his house that totally gutted it, a lot of construction, and they had moved in, and here his wife comes, and and she uh, says she needs to speak to me, so I got one of the other guys over and told him what to do, and I stepped away, and she was very apologetic, and she told me that her husband's in their bedroom, and he's been in there all day, and he's been crying all night, and he's still crying, and would you please go in and talk to him? And I said, are you sure it's okay? She said, please. And she just had this desperate look in her eyes. And I said, okay. So I took my nail apron off and brushed myself off and told the guys I'm going to step away for a little bit. And I knew where the bedroom was. I slipped my shoes off and went to their bedroom door and I tapped on the door. Didn't hear a sound. Opened the door. And there he was, just a, just a, just a, just a heap, just wiped out, just crying his eyes out. And he told me that he had grown up and he had a nanny uh, that took care of him. And she was a African-American woman. And when she would uh, put him down for a nap, uh, he was raised in a, in a very wealthy home. And uh, when he was put down for a nap, she would hold him and rock him and, and sing uh, Christian songs to him and that kind of thing. He was His family, they were heathens. And uh, anyway, when he was three years old, uh, she led him in a sinner's prayer. And he based his salvation on that. And that day, he told me some of the same things the first man had told me, that he don't know if he's really right with God, if he has a relationship. And I told him the same thing. And the almost identical thing happened. And it was like just another piece of fruit plopping right into my basket and God giving me another gift. And uh, it was just like you know, all these events that happened, you know, God orchestrating them in such a beautiful way to bring me to the point of where I was willing to, to make that same move and, and come for the first time to experience him as Lord and Savior of my life and King of my life. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see God working um, in those stories that you just shared. That's, that is really, really incredible. So I guess um, before um, giving your life to Jesus, how did you, how were you able to, I mean, you mentioned you, you were a missionary um I'm sure you you knew the Bible. How how I guess how were you able to keep your shall we say second life or, or your your lifestyle that you were living um, hidden and and did that like bother you at all your conscience or I guess what at that point earlier in your life what kept you from from going all in so to speak? Well, I didn't know. Uh, the biggest thing was I didn't know that I wasn't. Mm. 
I just thought I was carnal. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was weak. I just thought I was just not as good as everyone else. I just couldn't do it like everyone else. I was just, you know, that was just, that's what I felt. That's the lie that I believed. And it was a total lie from the enemy. And, you know, my mind was, was darkened. But one of the most astonishing things is that I would preach or talk to people and people would get born again and miracles happened and all kinds of things happened. And, uh, the, the bishop that ordained me, uh, when I shared my testimony with him, he just said, he said, Bobby, I, I've watched you preach in prison. I've watched grown men come to the altar and, and weep and cry and repent and come to Jesus under your preaching. I can't believe that you weren't born again. And he just couldn't accept it. Mm. And, you know, and I, and one chapter in, in the book is called A Crooked Stick. And, and the only way that I can explain it is like this, is that, you know, God can take a crooked stick and he can draw a straight line with it. Mm -hmm. I have no other explanation. Um, I did have a heart to serve God. I had a heart for people. I was passionate for the people of Haiti because of the, the poverty. I, I, could, I understood that poverty. I understood the, the hungry look in the eyes of those children. I understood not having a bathroom. I understood, you know, being dirty. I understood not having enough clothes or enough uh, covers to keep you warm at night or, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I could I could empathize, and I love those people, and so I could minister there, and and when I would have, uh, when I would fall, I would cry my eyes out and repent in sincerity, mm -hmm. and uh, even confess stuff to my wife, and uh, struggles and different things, and uh, yeah, and thinking, well, I'm just I'm just gonna brush myself off, get up, and try harder. And, and it just, it was, it was just, uh, it was a terrible life. And, um, yeah, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't experience it earlier in life and all of those, uh, wasted years and wasted opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and something, and you brought it out and something I, I see through that is just the, the awesomeness and power of God to be able to use you even then um, to minister and to, to show him to them. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, really powerful to see and just, yeah, all honor and glory to God for sure. Um, so I guess tell us a little bit now about um, your father and his later years and how he came to know know Christ um, and, and your experience with him and your relationship with him at that point in his life. All right. So uh, be glad to. So we went to Haiti. Uh, we were there. And uh, while I was there, I was, in spite of the fact of not being born again, I was able to release the bitterness and, and all the anger and resentment and rage that I had towards my dad, I was able to release him from that. And, uh, I don't know, I can't even explain it how that happened. Uh, but I, I know it was supernatural. Uh, and I know it was a God thing 
but I can't explain it. I have no, I, I, I can't, I can't even begin to explain it, but I know that it happened because when we came back, the, I, 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 so I had this, instead of this intense hatred towards my dad, I had that same level of love and compassion for my dad. And, uh, we came back and, uh, to visit uh, for six months for that furlough and I'd go to my dad's house and I would hug him and tell him I love him and he would literally push me away, push me away time and time and time again and I would, every time I'd go I'd do the same thing and he'd push me away, push me away and uh, then we went back for another year and came back and uh, we uh yeah, we started, uh, you know, interacting some, and then, uh, you know, I, uh, I just, I just decided I'm going to love my dad regardless, and so we, uh, we went, we went for Christmas uh, to my mom and dad's house, took our family, and we went there, and it was horrible. Uh, my dad was was know pretty much drunk the whole time uh screaming and cursing the tv blaring our young children there subjected to all of that and uh i remember driving away leaving for home and looking over at my wife and saying i don't think i ever want to take our family and go back again i was i was so hurt by the way that I felt like our children were hurt by my dad. Now, I wasn't angry. I was just, I was just protective, and I was just, I was just hurting for my children that they had to see and experience that. And uh, that spring, he needed to have a double knee replacement, and. I was there on business or something. I forget what I was there for. And he told me about it. And he said, I don't know how I'm going to get to the hospital. My mom never drove. She never had a driver's license. He said, I don't know how I'm going to go. And I don't know how I'm going to get home. And I said, when is it? And uh, we were living in East Tennessee at the time. And and uh, he told me. And I uh, I said, well, I can come. I can come and I can take you to the hospital and I'll stay with you as long as I need to and I'll bring you home. And he said, you'd do that for me? I said, sure, I'll do that for you. So I talked to my wife about it. She was good with it. So I got up really early and drove for hours and I was there. My dad was the kind of man, if you weren't early, you're late. And uh, I told him to have the coffee pot on. He's a big coffee drinker. I told him, have the coffee pot on, and we'll have coffee before we go to the hospital. And uh, I got there, and he was standing at the door when I pulled in the driveway. Took him to the hospital, and that whole day it was prepped for the surgery. And next morning, uh, I was reading my Bible and sitting in the corner, and I told him, I'll be here when you get back. And they were, the orderlies came in, and they were rolling him out for this uh, double knee uh, surgery. And uh, typically they don't do that anymore, but they did it for him. And uh, anyway, um, 
just as they were rolling him out the door, he, he stopped him and he turned his head and looked at me. And he said, uh, a tear rolled down his cheek. And he said, uh, would you pray for me before I leave? And man, I set that Bible down. I jumped up. I grabbed both of his hands and I prayed heaven down. I don't know what those orderlies thought, <laughs> but I didn't really care because I was praying for my daddy. And something, something happened in the heavenlies when I prayed for my dad that morning. Something happened. Our relationship, it absolutely changed. And so uh, they took him to surgery, came back. I took him home, and I bought him a cell phone, and I gave him a cell phone. And uh, he said he sort of, you know, sputted at it, made fun. You know, he don't need this thing. What am I going to do with it? And I said, well, maybe I want to call you. And I found out later that he was one of his friends, that his son bought him this new cell phone, and, you know, and he can, you know, he was showing it off and so proud of it. Well, then, then the phone calls uh, started, and he would call me. And uh, I told him, he said, uh, one of the first times he called me, he said, you know, uh, we're really looking forward to having you and your family come back for Christmas this year. And I said, well, Daddy, I, I can't come. Uh, we're all, already committed to go to be with my wife's family for Christmas. I can't do that. So y'all just go ahead and have fun, and we'll try to come some other time. And, of course, I was having flashbacks from the last Christmas. Mm -hmm. And he would call, and every time he'd call, he'd say, hey, we're really looking forward to Christmas again this year, you and your family. And I, it went on and on and on. And finally, I told my wife, I said, there's something, there's something up. There's something, something going on I don't understand. And so finally I decided, I talked to my wife, I said, I said, uh, what if we, I, I, something's up, there's something, something going on why don't we go to your parents for Christmas and then we'll go to my mom and dad's place for New Year's and try to try to uh, satisfy him that way. She said, okay, if that's what you want to do, we can do that. We talked about the children and all of that again, and I was really dreading that and, and not wanting to do it, but feeling, you know, that we were just feeling in my heart that I needed to do it. And so... We decided to do that. Next time he called and said, looking forward to you coming for Christmas. And, and I said, well, Daddy, here's what we've decided. We're, we're not coming for Christmas. We can't come for Christmas. I'd be going back on my word, and I can't do that. And uh, I know you appreciate that. And, uh, but what we're going to do, we're going to come for New Year's. How's that, Daddy? Oh, he said, oh, that's just great. He said, we'll hold Christmas until y'all come. We won't have Christmas. So y'all get here and then we'll have a big time. I was like, no, daddy, y'all go ahead. And because Christmas was a, it was a big thing at our house. I mean, a Christmas tree and presents underneath. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, it was really poor, but it was still, you know, it was, it was something that we looked forward to because we always got a little bit of candy and typically an apple and orange and a banana. And that was something we really looked forward to every year. And, uh, Anyway, uh, we did that. We went to my wife's folks, and we uh, drove. I, I was exhausted. We got to my dad's place New Year's Eve and uh, got there, and a lot of the family was there. And uh, 
my youngest sister had just gotten born again and we were sitting around the kitchen table and, and just talking and she was crying and talking about getting born again, how it changed her life. And, and, uh, so it was late. We, we played Rook and had fun. It was probably one, two o'clock in the morning till we went to bed. And, uh, I was just in this, this, this deep stupor of a sleep, just exhausted sleep. And, my wife finally got me awake and, and she said, and finally I heard her say, your dad's at the door. And I finally got awake enough to understand, comprehend what she was saying. And I sat up and I looked and I saw him silhouetted standing there. And I thought, you know, is he, because he was drinking really heavy that night, but he wasn't as loud and obnoxious and wasn't cursing nearly as much. And uh, he was standing there. And I jumped up and put my pants on and ran over to him. And, and he was, he was, it sounded like he was choking, but he was crying. And I had no idea. And I, I led him over to his chair and I said, I said, sit down. And he sat down and I said, what's wrong? And he, and he was just, just, just crying his eyes out. And he said, he looked up at me, his eyes were, he said, I haven't slept all night. And he said, uh, I quit drinking. And he said, I've been, I've been living for the devil all my life. He said, can you help me? And I said, yeah, I started crying. I said, no, I can't, but I know somebody that can. Mm. And, uh, to make a long story short, my brother that lived just down the road, that was a Baptist preacher, <coughs> called him, woke him up. He came up and we together, uh, worked with my dad and my dad got gloriously born again. And uh, he was a changed man. Wow, wow, yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't much longer after that um, that your dad passed away, and so that's to, right. Yeah, to to see, to be able to experience that for you, I'm sure, is just a highlight of your of your life. Even um, I, I know, <coughs> I know many many. Uh, a person who, who who doesn't who hasn't been able to to experience that, um, and that's one of their their biggest regrets is that they weren't able to mend the re relationship uh, with their father, and and so to to see God working in both of your lives is is really really powerful and and incredible. So I guess starting to to wrap things up here, what is God? What is God doing? What do you see God doing in your life and in your family's life uh, today currently? Ah, some beautiful things. Um, you know, our, we, we have eight children. They're all married. Uh, you know, some of them, they have their, they have their struggles and different things like all of us do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we have a, we have a wonderful relationship and, uh, we have, uh, uh, 15 grandchildren, uh, Recently, one of our grandchildren got born again and, and was baptized. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to see, you know, this next generation, uh, our children uh, raising their children and doing uh, so much better of a job at it than what we did. And, uh, you know, really, uh, yeah, having having strong faith and, and uh, you know, solid uh, families and you know, that are doing well. And it's just such a blessing to see that. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm soon going to be turning 65 years old and, uh, I've been involved, uh, you know, in business, uh, for years and I'm more and more stepping away from that and more into ministry. Uh, in fact, I was just in Holmes County, uh, just this, just Tuesday night speaking at a banquet. Uh, and I do a lot of that stuff, uh, do a lot of, uh, speaking and sharing my testimony, uh, preaching, uh, at different places and, uh, doing seminars. I do uh, business coaching uh, for uh, young entrepreneurs. I didn't have anyone helping me. And and uh, I told the Lord years ago that if I'm ever put in the position where I can, uh, I would I would relish uh, helping others get started. So I have a lot of uh, young business owners that I mentor and do seminars for and uh, work with. That's very fulfilling. Uh, I have a lot of young men that I disciple. Uh, a year or so ago, our youth group uh, asked uh, for my wife and I to uh, be a, a part of the uh, youth uh, leadership team. And so we have the youth over to our house and we do Bible studies with them. And uh, we just, we love young people. And uh, we just want to do as much as we can for as many as we can, for as long as we can. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I can definitely see your your heart for God and just your enthusiasm just shining through and, and yeah, describing what, what he's been up to recently. Um, you know, I looking at, as I sat here listening um, to you share your story, I can see, yeah, obviously the, the overarching story is just God telling his story and and letting his name be proclaimed and I obviously like that's the whole goal and the the message that I want to promote here at, on the podcast as well that's kind of where the name came from you know let it let it shine let um, the light shine not not our light but but his light God's light and in sharing what he is doing and what he has done in our lives um, and just looking at your story I'm, I'm sure and you mentioned, you know, some of your classmates and, and people looked at you as, as white trash and looking at even your, your family history, um, I'm sure, you know, you came from a very poor family. People probably looked at you and, and would look at you and, and say, you know, you're not going to amount to much. Your, your family is doomed. You're just going to repeat um, the mistakes that your father, grandfather, great, great grandfather um, made and... And, but then to see how God, um, yeah, just changed, changed that around. And, and even in your father's life, like not even in your future, but going back in your in ancestry in your father's life and, and being able to change that. Um, and then now seeing you and your children and your grandchildren and, and just all following after, after God. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see, um, yeah, how, if we allow him to, how he can just completely change, change our lives, our past and our future. Um, and so I guess I, I do have one more question for you. And I always, always end my podcast episode interviews, whatever you want to call it with this question. Um, I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but most of, of my listeners, subscribers, whatever you want to call them, um, are youth, younger aged, anywhere from 18 to probably 24, 25. Um, and obviously like those, those years are very, um, intense and very important, 
Uh, you make a lot of life decisions. You make you know a lot of choices. There's a lot going on, and we're always always looking for advice, always looking for wisdom. Um, and so I guess I'd like to ask you what what's one thing if you could share uh, your heart with with the youth that that are listening, um, just in general. What what is one thing you would like to tell them? Um, just summed up here in, in a few minutes. Yeah, the one thing that I would say. If there's any woundedness from from your past, stop, get help, and have some Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit oil and wine poured into those wounds and find healing. Mm -hmm. Because carrying those wounds will take you places you don't want to go. And cause you to do things you don't want to do. Mm. And make you pay a price that you don't really want to pay. And looking back over my life, you know, the, the, the woundedness that was there, that, that was known and unknown, that was, that was, you know, that was conscious and subconscious, all of that together, uh, I, was this, I was this walking time bomb. And, uh, you know, it's been, you know, I got born again, uh, a little over 20 years ago and I repented that day and I'm still living a life of repentance. Mm. Uh, when I, when I sin, I repent. When I hurt my wife, I repent. When I do something to someone else, I repent. So make sure there's no lingering woundedness and I'm not sending you on a witch hunt you know in your heart if you have woundedness there mm -hmm. and if you don't the Holy Spirit will, will, will show you and deal with that and then walk in freedom walk in liberty and let the light shine through you mm -hmm. Amen, Amen to that. I, I, I love the name of this podcast and, if, and we need to let our light shine and we need to do it at home at work, in our communities, wherever we find ourselves, we need to be bold and proclaim who Jesus Christ is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and not, not be ashamed of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow, thank you for that. I, I really, really appreciate those words, especially um, you, you touched and mentioned on living a life just of, of repentance and continually repenting um, as, as the Holy Spirit convicts us. Um, I, I really appreciate that. I, I feel like a lot of times when we listen to testimonies and when I think of testimonies, I think of people who were living a life of sin, were living a life of defeat, who um, God changed their life around and now they're living in freedom. Um, and it's almost like they lived happily ever after. It's almost like we get stuck there as the false um, I, I guess idea that like we never were perfect after God changes changes our life, um, but just that idea of continually walking with Him and repenting as He as He you know as He shows us and convicts us. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time um, and just being very transparent with us, being very honest with us. Um, yeah, that that's that's amazing to see what God has done and is still doing in in your life. Um, and, and yeah, for you listeners out there, thank you so much for, for listening. 
um, and join us next time.